Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Welcome to church. It is week one of Legacy. I hear some of you say, what is Legacy? Well, that's what we're about to explain to you. What you need to know about this church is that we have one mission with three focuses. The one mission we have is to connect people. Everyone say people. It's to connect precious people to God, to His church and to their purpose. And we do that through our three focuses. One focus is the church. We believe that the church is the goose that lays the golden egg. It's the church that all good things come out of. So we need to have a strong, healthy church. So we unapologetically talk about the church. We unapologetically talk about servicing and loving and caring for the church because out of the church, we get to embrace our second focus, which is community. And community are all those things that we get to do within a radius of the local church. And there's many things that we are doing into our community. I thank God for the many, many things that we are doing. I thank God for the politicians and the MPs that are grateful that Victory Church exists because the community is better for her. Give yourselves a round of applause. Amen. It's so good. And then our third focus is kingdom and kingdom is anything beyond community. Things that we do overseas, things that we do beyond this community. And they're the three focuses that we want to achieve our one mission, which is to see precious people come to God, to church and to know and understand and find their purpose. And every month, sorry, every year, we take a time that we used to call Heart for the House, which we've changed last year from Heart to the House to Legacy. We used to do this in September. We've changed the name and moved the time to Legacy in the month of June. And it's an opportunity for us to think about, to pray about, to seek God's face, to hear God, how we might be able to give of our time, our talents and our treasures for the next 12 months to see this mission fulfilled through these three focuses. Amen. That's the purpose of legacy. And before we do that, I want to just say categorically today that I am not a prosperity preacher. In other words, I do not believe that Jesus died to make me rich. I believe that God's blessing on my life doesn't hinge on me giving money to Him. It hinges on Jesus alone. Can I get an Amen this morning? And yet with that being true, Jesus uncompromisingly spoke about finances. In actual fact, Jesus spoke more about money than any other subject. He always spoke about money. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, He said this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When it comes to giving and it comes to finances and the church, I believe, like John Mayer said, it's an act of heartbreak warfare. Amen? You see, every time we give, it's an act of breaking up an illicit lover called money. Giving to God is a gesture of fierce loyalty to a faithful lover. You show me your credit card and I will show you what your heart adores. Better still, why don't you look at your credit card and you'll find out what it is your heart 
truly adores. To keep our relationship with money platonic, I believe God gave us a remedy. And that remedy, are you ready for it? Is tithing. Everyone say tithing. Now I'm aware that tithing is a word that is often misunderstood and criticised and not received too well. Some of that is because it's never been spoken about. Some of it's because it's never been spoken about well. And some of it's because we just have a bad attitude toward giving. And so today, as a pastor, I want to take time and share a very non-sexy message with you, but a very important message nonetheless. You see, I believe that pastoring is much like parenting. We have three incredible kids and I've absolutely loved every moment with our kids and I've enjoyed it as I've got older, to be honest. And I think about all the incredible moments we've had as a family. I think about the Monday nights that we've had as a family night and the the, the meal that we would buy and the lollies that we would buy and the cubbies that we'd make and the films that we would watch and the laughter that we would have. I I love our home for many things, but I love our home at dinner time as we gather around the table and we express the six not too often spoke about love language. They say there's five love languages, there's actually six. The sixth one is sarcasm, of which our family (laughs) oozes. We are like champions when it comes to sarcasm. Um, And and I just love it. I I love the banter. I I love the quick-wittedness. I I love the passion with which people fire backwards and forth. All these great things. Unfortunately for my lovely wife, who's down west today, looking after things down there, she's often on the back end or the brunt of most of the conversations just because for whatever reason, God hasn't graced her with the wit or the speed in which we exercise our wit. And even BJ, our 12-year-old, she's like, bang, 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 bang. And Cass's like, what's happening? What's going on? And, and you know when, when you're laughing, uh, but you don't know what's going on? Cass often, Cass, Cass often laughs, she'll be laughing. <laughs> she doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> Ah, it is true and I love her for it. I do, I love her for it. I love those moments. They're just amazing. Whoa. And (laughs) that was the Lord about to get me. So (laughs) the spirit of Kath is here. If I'd fallen off, you would have loved that. Ah, um, and, and... and, and, and we've had some incredible times and I think those who have families know what I'm on about. And then there's the more serious moments and the teary moments and the deep discussion moments. And then there's the correction moments. And then there's the teaching moments. I've given all of our kids the, the oven talk. The, the oven talk for us is, is going up to the oven when they were very young and said, hey kids, you know, you know mummy and daddy, you know, uh, will often be making a meal and this will get very hot and, and you need to know that if you touch it after we've used it, it's going to hurt you and burn you. And so we, we, have, the, we have the deeper, meaningful teaching moments. And if you were to say to me, which is more important? I would say they're all important. I know which is more fun. But if you were to ask me which is more important, I would say they're all important. Laughing, joking, sarcasm, cubby building, film watching, uh, lolly making, uh, ice cream eating moments are, are all good. They're the fun moments and they're equally as important as the teaching moments, as the oven comment moments, as the correction moments. 
as the teaching moments. They're all equally important. Some are just more fun. And some are more sexy. You know, when you get those kids off to bed and then you have sexy time. <laughs> kids are, oh my God, Dad, yeah. You know, I want to say this message today is as important, if not one of the most important messages. It's just not sexy. But it is one of the most important, liberating messages that you can ever hear because it's a priority message. Can you say priority? Priority. It's a priority message. And so today I want to take you down a little road called 10th Avenue as we look at the power and the purpose of the tithe. The power and the purpose of the tithe. And to help us understand the tithe or tithing, I want to look at the philosophy, the theology, and my personal testimony of what it is to tithe. Are you ready to lean in? Have I still got you? Still friends? Yeah? Understand that this is an important message? Fantastic. Well, firstly, the tithe is simply a mathematical term. It's a percentage. It means one-tenth. And before we get into that, I want to say this categorically, that it's more about a priority than it is about a percentage. It's a priority before it's a percentage. And priority giving is a big idea that you see right throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. And I say that to say this, I am very well aware of my slack, selfish nature left to myself. Is anyone out there big enough to say, left to yourself, you'll become slack and selfish because that's who we are by nature. And I say, I'm so grateful to God for His Word. I'm so grateful for God for His guidelines. I'm so grateful for His disciplines because it stopped me being left to me. Because me left to me is not pretty. Me left to me is not productive. I'm so grateful to God for His words. And I want this message today to liberate you because God puts things in His Word not to bring bondage, not to bring condemnation, but to bring freedom that we might be free and free indeed. And so I'm so grateful. I live in the freedom of being able to apply the Word of God into my life because it stopped me being Lord and Master of my own life. And as a result, I've lived in a measure of freedom of which I'm so grateful to God for. Amen. You see, planned priority giving ensures that my needs and wants, which are always there, don't mess with my generosity. Your needs and wants, my needs and wants are always there. And this is what I know to be true. The moment one of my needs or wants is met, guess what? It's replaced with another need or want. Needs and wants never go away. They are always there. I'm grateful for planned priority giving because it stops me messing with my generosity. It puts my needs and wants in place. It's one of those moments that my generosity says to my needs and wants, steady lads, steady. Amen. If you don't know what I mean by that, you're going to have to get an old message and that will make more sense to you. Giving is much like exercise in that it's easy to let it slip. Now, I've had a culture of physical exercise because of my upbringing. It was my dad's thing and I just embraced it. But I want, to know, I want you to know, even for me, it's easy to let physical training slip. And what I notice when it comes to giving, I never forget to spend 
but it's easy to forget to give. Would that be fair to say? Whoever forgets to spend. No, half the time we don't even remember. It just happens. It's just like, wow. But we can forget to give. See, priorities giving is God's means of grace to us. I want you to get this. If I said to you, who wants more of the grace of God? There probably wouldn't be a hand that wouldn't go up. Who doesn't want more of the grace of God? What you need to know is that giving is one of those graces. What makes the grace of God so amazing is that there are many aspects and attributes to the grace of God. The grace of God comes in many forms, many aspects to the grace of God. And one of the graces He gives to us is this opportunity to get involved in giving. It's a grace to me. It saves me from me. It saves me from just being driven by my wants and needs and never being truly satisfied. It gives me an opportunity to live something in the life of Jesus because He gave His life. Jesus was a giver. And when I actually embrace God's way of giving, I get to be more like Jesus. And that is indeed a massive grace to me. So when we talk about wanting more of the grace of God, God says, I'll give it to you. But we may be surprised on what the grace of God looks like. And I believe that Planned priority giving is one of those graces. Amen. Priority giving goes beyond the tithe. In actual fact, the first command about priority giving was given in the area of the poor. Permit me just to jump back to the Old Testament for a moment. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, it says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord, your God. In other words, in the heart of God, it's always been to help the poor. And so the advice to all those who are making a living off the land was to sow in squares, but reap in circles. And in so doing, you will leave the corners for the poor and the foreigner in the land. That's always been in the heart. Why would you do that? I can make more profit. Because you're not the only person on the planet. Because there are people that are more uh, less fortunate than you are. And God's plan was that you sow in squares, but you reap in circles, leaving the corners for the poor, the unfortunate, those that don't have it as good as you do. That's always been God's heart, to meet the needs of the poor. And the farmers were to get in line with God's will and to make less profit in order to meet the needs of the poor. It'd be much like us when we go to a restaurant and the meal is $49.50. How do we flesh this out in 2019? I would say when you give $50 for a meal that is $49.50, don't wait for your 50 cents. Pay in dollars, leave the cents there. This has always been in God's heart. And it's not just an Old Testament thought. We see Paul echo the same heart in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, who, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. This is an Old Testament. This is a New Testament. This is a godly, eternal principle. God has always been interested in the poor. Planned priority giving was first seen in the regards to the poor, but also it was seen in regards to the priests. You see, the priests or the Levites under the Old Testament law were not given land, 
Remember when land was being distributed amongst the Israelites? Well, the Levites, the priests, they weren't given any land. They were um, called to work in service of the Lord. And their reward wasn't land. Their reward was the offering. They were paid to do what they did by the money that came into the church or the temple under the Old Testament. And some scholars say that under law, this, this tithe was as much as 23 to 25%. But when we saw it first implemented, it was under Abraham, which was 10%. And some of you might say, but that's Old Testament. Isn't that law? Didn't Jesus and Paul abolish it? Isn't 10% too much? These are all the prevailing questions that are out there. And, and again, I just want to look at some of those questions and I'm trusting that we can hear my heart and hear what it is that I'm truly saying as I try my best to represent what God is saying in His Word this morning. Are we still, are we still listening? And I want to do it by beginning with Jesus. I want to look backwards to Abraham and I want to look forwards to Paul the Apostle. So the first one is this, Jesus taught it. When it comes to the tithe, Jesus taught it. And as with everything with our Christianity, would it be fair to say that we need to start with Jesus? Everything we do, we need to start with Jesus. In other words, what would Jesus do? More importantly, what did Jesus do? I mean, what did He do? Not only what would He do, but what did He do? You see, Jesus is not only the supreme theme of the Bible, He's also the supreme interpreter of the Bible. Would that be fair to say? There was this moment where Jesus chose three of His disciples to go up a mountain and it was there that Jesus transfigured before them and He had a conversation with Moses and Elijah. And as they were talking and as Peter, James and John were wondering what on earth is going on and Peter's got this idea, maybe we should build some tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah and then Peter's just like trying to do something. He's just the ultimate doer. Got to do something. Can't just sit and listen. I've got to do something. And this voice from heaven, the Father from heaven, God Almighty, thunders from heaven and says, this is my Son, whom I love. With Him I'm well pleased. Then He says these words, listen to Him. He didn't say, listen to the jaded person who's been ripped off by the church. <laughs> it's amazing, but oh, I'm not going to give because of this. He didn't say, listen to your bad experience. He didn't say that. He said, listen to Him. Jesus is the supreme interpreter of the Scriptures. No one understands the Scripture more than Jesus. And that's why the Father said, listen to Him. Peter's got some great ideas. Don't always listen to Peter. I've got some great ideas. It's not about listening to me. It's not because Victory Church said it. It's what did Jesus say? You see, Jesus not only fulfilled the law, but He had the authority to revise the law. And he did this in three ways. The first way is this. He removed some parts of the law. In Matthew chapter 5, for example, verse 38, Jesus said this, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. This is like, they've never heard this before. They're about revenge. And it's amazing, we grace people, we don't like old covenant law. But I, I've heard some of you know, the thoughts out there from these gracious people. Ah, oh, kill him, he should be... No, no, no. We, we, we kind of pick and choose. But, but Jesus actually removed some parts of the law. 
He said, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. I, I tell you, no more. No more. In actual fact, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer him the left one as well. So, okay then, left cheek, whatever. Just... <laughs> He removed some things. Can we see that from Scripture? Secondly, he raised some things. Again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus speaking. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. This is taking the law to a whole nother level. This is gracious Jesus saying, you think you're pretty good, you haven't committed adultery. I want to tell you, if you look at a woman, and honestly, if we were honest before God, there'd be a lot of men right now in this place who may be feeling a little bit of weight right now. Because Jesus removed the law in some parts, but some he raised the bar. See, when you say, Jesus, uh, abolish the law, that comment is too generic. He did in some parts. But some parts he raised the bar. And in other parts he balanced it. Some he removed it, some he raised it, some he balanced it. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, it says, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth, there it is, a tithe, you tithe your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. Here it is. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, what is Jesus saying when it comes to the tithe? He's saying he had the power to remove it. He didn't. He had the power to raise it. He didn't. But he did balance it. In other words, Jesus is saying... Still tithe, just don't neglect justice, and mercy and faithfulness. In other words, be sure that your tithing is not from dishonest gain. Make sure that it's done in worship to God. Jesus categorically taught the tithe. He never abolished it. He just said, do it, but do it with love. Do it with mercy. Do it with justice and faithfulness. Secondly, Abraham practiced it. In other words, tithing started before the law existed and extended beyond the law. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20 says this, Where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf, he's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek was a king of Salem and a priest of God Almighty. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth, there it is, a tithe of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of his plunder. The author of Hebrews, and we don't know who that is. Many would suggest it's Paul. I don't know who it is. But the author of the book of Hebrews is arguing this point that tithing is Abrahamic before it's Mosaic. Moses introduced the law. 
Abraham was before Moses. And so before Moses was and before the law was introduced, Abraham, out of gratitude to this mysterious kingly priest, offers a tithe. He didn't have to. He just felt compelled to. Who's our king and priest? It's Jesus. And so it existed before the law. And because of who Abraham gave to, a, a mysterious kingly priest, it supersedes the law and goes beyond the law because we still have a kingly priest and his name is Jesus. And if Melchizedek, this mysterious kingly priest, was worthy of a tenth of Abraham's plunder, how much more you and I beyond the law giving to our king or priest, who is not a mystery, but is well known to us. Amen. And thirdly, Paul affirmed it. Paul affirmed it. Paul is the great apostle who's responsible for writing many of the letters to the churches in the New Testament. Obviously, when he was writing those letters, there was no New Testament. They became part of the canon of Scripture many years later. But these were Paul's writings. And much of what we call the New Testament today were written by this man, Paul. And Paul affirmed the tithe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, For it is written in the law of Moses, Paul, uh, Paul is quoting the law, he says, Do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. If you read on, it goes on to say, Do you think it's animals that God's really concerned about? Do you think God put that in there because He's really concerned about animals? Yes, look after animals, but there's a bigger principle at stake. And Paul highlights what that bigger principle is in verse 13 of the same chapter. He says, Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, they're key words, in the same way. Underline that, highlight it, do what you want with that. But there's the key. In the same way, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And if you read on, you'll see that Paul never exercised that right, but it was a right nonetheless. What Paul is saying is just like the Levites received their income from preaching the Word of God, so too those in the New Covenant who preach should receive their living from preaching. What he's really saying is there's a practical principle here that whatever you do, you should be paid to do what it is that you do. If you're an electrician, you should be paid for the work that you do. If you're a plumber, you should be paid for the work that you do. If you're a teacher, you should be paid for work that you do. If you're a preacher, you should be The question is, where does that money come from? Robbing banks? (laughs) No, it comes from the money that God's people bring into the house of God. It's called the tithe. Now, you've got to understand, Paul preached against the law. He, He was an avid preacher against the law. He was rabid when it came to the law. I mean, he had many arguments with religious people when it came to the law. Paul says, there is no way to Jesus Christ but through faith in Him. There is nothing in the law. He was an avid preacher against the law many times. But on this occasion, he says, ah, in the same way, you should just do what they did under law. Sometimes you don't need to be a theologian to understand the Bible. Sometimes you just need a brain. (laughs) Sometimes you just need to apply some common sense. Paul just says, in the same way, you should just pay those who do a good job in a specific field. Are you with me? Is there anyone else out there who's working really hard who wants to get paid buttons? No. (laughs) 
Paul, like Jesus, doesn't remove it. As the band come up, priority and percentage giving are God's ways of making the mission move forward. It's God's way of providing for those who preach the gospel full time. It's God's way of providing for those who work in the church. This, this church has three focuses. The first one is the church. But legacy giving is about future giving. Legacy is about us thinking about 2050, our children's children living in the blessing of a decision we made in 2019. That's legacy giving. But tithing is the present giving. It's the day-to-day runnings of things. So when we talk about giving to the church, there's two elements of giving to the church. There's one, the tithe, which is giving to the day-to-day running of the house. Legacy giving to the church is, hey, there's many things that we want to do. You know, every one of our kids' workers want things done for our kids' ministry for it to go better. And they would be right. And all of our musicians are saying, man, some of this equipment, we need some new equipment. And they would be right. And some of you are looking at the carpets and saying, man, the carpets are getting a bit tired. And, and, and you would be right. And some of you are saying, man, these chairs, that we could do with some new chairs. Haven't you been to the latest Hoyts over recliners? And, and, and you would be right. We're doing a little bit of a renovation right now with the 25th anniversary in mind, but we are doing it to a shoestring budget because we just don't want to become old and dated and antiquated because the very building that we uh, house, uh, our gathering should prophesy, it should speak. And we don't want to speak that we actually don't have money. We don't want to speak that we don't have uh, uh, relevance. And so all of these things are important. And so when we come to our legacy giving, it's for those aspects, but when it comes to rent and mortgages and, and bills and, and wages, Paul, Jesus, and under law, this is a practical principle of the tithe. And as we come into a legacy time, this is be my real heart. I would love every person to be tithing. And then I love every person every year around legacy time to be thinking about how we can give to our future. And that we'd be open to hearing God's voice. And I believe God would be speaking to every one of us right now about something. The amounts will be different. But this I want to say very clear. I don't want us to be talking about what we can give to legacy if we're not first tithing. What we don't want to do is be robbing Peter to pay Paul. What we don't want to have is money tied up in the bank to do things for our future that we can't do because our present isn't being taken care of. Does that make sense? And so I want to say this with all sincerity and all integrity. If you have not committed to the discipline and the biblical principle of tithing, that you consider taking this trip down 10th Avenue and commit to tithing. And if that was your commitment to legacy 2019 and 20, and you started tithing for the first time regularly for the next 12 months, that would be an incredible win for us as a church. And it'd be an incredible win for you. And for all of us in the room that would say, I've got that in place. I'm saying, would you hear God? How we can give over and above this next 12 months and commit to our future. Because our future is important, not just 
the here and now. When it comes to tithing, I could talk about it for so long in so many aspects. But can I just say this? For me, tithing firstly has kept me free from the love of money. I'm grateful to God. It's a grace to me. Secondly, it has kept me in a place of radical faith. You don't think I haven't seen some things I can't afford and I think, man, if I just stop giving there, I could actually afford that. It's kept me in radical faith. I'm so grateful to God for that. Who wants more faith? Who wants to be free from the love of money? Tithing's done that for me. You know what I'm so, so excited about? This discipline of giving, and you've got to understand, it's been over 30 years now. This discipline of giving has ensured and enabled us, Kath and I, to sow thousands of dollars into the local church and seen thousands of people transformed because of the love of Jesus. You can never take that away from me. And if I get another 30, 40, 50 years on this earth, it gives me another 30, 40, 50 years to sow thousands of dollars into the local church to see thousands of lives changed with the love of Jesus. I'm not trying to raise funds here. I'm trying to raise faith. And you know what blows my mind? All those three things being true. Fourthly is this. The testimony of God's financial provision to me is beyond my expectation. You see, when I looked at this young girl that I loved, her name's Kath, by the way, just the same girl. <laughs> and we were talking seriously about getting married. I said this to her. I said, I don't know what my future looks like. I know I don't want ministry and I don't want to be a pastor, but I want to do something good for God. And if it involves ministry, and if it involves becoming a pastor, I want you to know there's not a lot of money in that. And in saying yes to me, you're saying yes to poverty. We had this conversation. I said, I can't promise you riches, but I can promise you me. I said that. I actually went as far to say, I can't promise you money, I can promise you me, and I'm worth more than any money. I said that. And no one has any trouble believing that. Look at you. Yeah, move on. We got it. We know. I did. And I'd say that today. But here's the amazing thing. What I didn't factor in is how kind, how gracious, and how good God has been to me. I've travelled the world. I never thought I'd do that. We have a nice car, a nice home, nice clothes. We've been blessed. It was never part of my dream. God saw my dream and as He always does, raised it. I have not given, outgiven God. He's always given me far more than I ever dreamed, hoped or even imagined. Now I'm quoting Luke chapter 6. That's what He said He'd do. But I put that at number four because as good as that is, it's not the priority for me. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 